0: Ignition sequence starts. Three, two, one... Welcome back to University Everybody, the podcast where we talk about the Earth, existence, and the unknown. I'm Judson Martin, your host, and with me as always is... A.J. Perrin. Today we're going to be talking about <laughs> um, the International Space Station.
1: Yes, we're going to be talking about what that thing do, answering the age-old question, what that thing do, right?
0: <clears throat> Unfortunately.
1: We're going to dive into how it was built. Um, A lot of you guys were curious about that on Instagram. And then we're also going to dive into what, like, what do they actually do up there? And what are some of the significant research platforms? So, to start things off, of course, we have to go through news and brain gains. Starting with news, we have some cool stuff. Last episode, I said that we would go through our Spotify wrapped. So, that's what we'll do now, actually. Spotify Wrapped gives you, as a podcaster, a bunch of information about yeah, like what went on during the year.
0: What? Oh, I thought it was going to be on the Spotify app. Oh, so no, 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 no.
1: I've just got some of our stats um, here that I thought I'd share with the listeners. And maybe, Judd, you could guess some of them. Our top episode, uh, Judd, what do you think our top episode was this year?
0: Neil deGrasse Tyson. Wow, yeah. hard one. Yeah, yeah. It's rough. it
1: was streamed 390 percent more than the average episode, um, wow. which is in part helped by the fact that on Spotify I have it where it's like, that is the episode that I send people to when they first click on to the thing. It says like, start here, mm. Neil Tyson. Let's see. So that was that that was uh, impressive. The number of countries that we were streamed in, Judd. How many countries streamed University last year?
0: I don't know. Maybe like. In.
1: 91 different countries that's a lot how many countries are in the world there, like 270 something like that
0: no yeah 195 sorry oh, yeah, it's 195 193 of these are in the UN but this is going to be my, um, brain my, gain. my brain gains okay, right pause now pause right now then yeah so pause we're going to brain gains my brain gains is that there's 195 recognized countries but Only 193 of them are member states of the UN. So I was a lot of it wrong. Which is really interesting. Um, Vatican City and the state of Palestine... That actually makes sense. ...are not in the UN, which is... ...cool, I guess. So
1: every other country is, though? Yeah. Yeah, because at that point, it's like a bandwagon thing. It's like you can't say no to the UN, be the one country that's
0: like... So there's 195 recognized countries, but there's... 237, like, separate governments that are, like, trying to operate in the world or whatever, but, like, some of them aren't accepted because they're, like, fighting over land that another country already owns or something like that.
1: Okay, so back to Spotify Wrapped sure yeah so 91 countries 60 percent of our listeners are from the u.s and the other top five countries are netherlands uk canada and germany and netherlands is a smaller country than the uk and canada and germany so i was a little confused as to why that was on the top but i think we just have some fans there apparently so yeah people that listen to university also listen to uh podcasts related to comedy and science that's basically us Mm -hmm. and then also society and culture i guess that fits a little bit maybe um because here we are talking about the united nations
0: yeah well and i don't want that to be my brain gains but uh, it's a good information <laughs> too late it's, you only get one no i'm kidding
1: um and then there was a ton of people that had us as their number one pod so if that was you thank you for tuning in no okay so other news we're gonna rip through a quick japan is going to the moon in mid-january japan is gonna be landing on the moon Uh, They launched a robotic moon lander back in September, along with an X-ray space telescope. The space telescope's now in low Earth orbit, but the lander itself is making a very slow, the lander itself is on a slow journey towards the moon, and it's supposed to get there around December 25th. And then from then until January when it lands, it's going to be orbiting the moon and trying to find a landing spot. That's cool. Yeah, that'll make Japan the fifth country ever to land on the moon, and it will be the most precise landing ever with a landing zone of less than a hundred meters. So, so their target is within less than a hundred meters.
0: Wait, so it's just a? Is it a rover or, or what is it?
1: It's a robotic lander. That is all a I can tell you. I'm guessing lander. it. I know it has like two probes that separate probes that will be launched from kind of the quote unquote mothership, ship, um, but. I don't know. Does that so, answer yeah. your
0: question? Well, it's not a manned mission. It's just... It's not manned. So I right. wonder what they're sending up there. Just just a robotic just lander. Just
1: a robotic lander, yeah. That will be communicating with Earth. Hmm. Um, what else we got? Voyager. F***, it, Judd. Voyager. Another Voyager. Who could have guessed? The 43-year-old spacecraft is not yeah. working again. 46. 46. Yeah. Shut up. Um, so, forty. yeah, Voyager is now 46 years old, and it's 15 billion miles away. And if you remember, maybe a couple months ago, we had an episode where one of the news segments was Voyager 2 lost communication with Earth because its dumb satellite got pointed the wrong direction. So we had to reorient it, and that's back in communication. But now Voyager 1 is acting up. It's sending a stream, a constant stream and cycle of ones and zeros. The ones and zeros are just on repeat, right? It's something to do with the flight data system, which collects information about the health of the spacecraft and other engineering data, and then it's supposed to send that just back to Earth. But right now, it seems like it's stuck. So there are engineers at NASA that are trying to communicate with it and trying to restart it, but they've sent commands to restart Voyager 1, and those haven't been successful yet. So we'll see what happens over the next couple of weeks. But for now, it seems like perhaps this is the end. This is the end for Voyager One, which, Maybe is isn't surprising because if you're trying to fix Voyager 1, all they have at NASA is the original manuals from 46 years ago when the thing
0: was originally built. Well, yeah, there's that, and it, it, I think it's just really hard to... It's hard to send a signal 15 billion miles away.
1: well. Great point, Jed, because it takes three days to send a signal and then receive communications back from Voyager because of how far away it is. So just testing things to try to fix it takes a long time. Yeah. What else we got? Um... I did think this was interesting, just reading about Voyager quickly, is that the team, since Voyager 1 and 2 are so old, the team at NASA is like slowly turning off bits and pieces of Voyager to conserve power, because at this point, the value in the mission is the fact that it's so far away, and we can see how particles and magnetic fields change and impact spacecraft at such long distances. Insert Judd comment (laughs) right there. That's you.
0: Uh, Yeah, I was reading.
1: Okay. (laughs) <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, this is crazy. This is crazy. Maybe this is more of a brain game, but I, I threw it in news anyway. Chat GPT four. Hold on. I'm but gonna make a reel out of this. So I really got yeah. oh. it. Oh, really dude, you cool. are reading. You're you're
0: fake. It's the news.
1: It's really interesting, though, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. So Chat GPT four. Well, I guess yeah.
0: Yep. Chat Try GPT. Again. No, get it great this time.
1: Chat GPT four is performing worse in December. Chat- <laughs> chat gpt4 is performing worse in december than it is in may because this guy was prompting it telling it it's december versus in may to write code if it was told it's in may its answers are longer and more complete than they were if it was told it was january or december if it was told Jan- it yep. was
0: december december yep. dude
1: this is tough <laughs> the answers in May are longer and more complete than if the model was told it was December, which is showing that AI models, big AI models like ChatGPT4 are already adapting and learning about the way that we live and work.
0: It's kind of crazy to think about if a robot knows that I like to lay on my couch in December and play Fortnite.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, people are working less during the holidays, so that makes sense that ChatGPT is saying I don't have to do as much work in December than I do in May.
0: But I wonder, like, what data it's because it's so chat gbt runs on like old data from the internet right right so i wonder like what data it's reading to know that it should do that
1: i think it's just based off of the number of prompts it's receiving right like it knows how much
0: it's interacted with well i don't know that's just not what it's like designed to do though hey i don't look at me you know i'm not not sam altman you know i'm not yeah but i'm just curious what why is it doing that i don't know i want to know wish i could tell you
1: now I'm excited, though. I didn't though. expect you to be able to. Actually, you know what? I can. Never mind. I can, but I'm not going to tell you. Uh huh. Um, Judd, let's hear your brain gains today. And pause. Note about the brain gains. Somebody, uh, not somebody, multiple people, right, have lis- wrote in for listener submission request. And they say they like the brain games segment with an M. And I'm like, huh, I never thought that that could be confusing.
0: Is that I'm not yeah, enunciating. Your voice, yeah, kind of like how you say beg.
1: But it's not that bad if they think it's games versus gains in my mind because they're kind of the same thing because most of the time when I'm sharing a, my brain gain
0: for you the week. some sort of game. I'm making a game. I'm well, asking no, you to I guess or something, Well, no, I think because right? we had – did we call a segment Brain Games previously where you asked me riddles? Was that what that was called?
1: Oh, no. Yeah. yeah. So then I transitioned it without notifying the public. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the good thing is it's Brain Gains – or games, whatever floats your boat at we this point. We could do either. We could do both. Or we could just come up with a better name that's Let not us confusing. know
0: in the comments what kind of, what do you want to see? Brain Gains, Brain Games, or both?
1: If, if, somebody, if somebody sends us a message with a better idea than Brain Gains or Brain Games in our Instagram for this segment, you will win.
0: Uh, what do you think, w- Judd? Uh, nothing you don't get anything except for you get to hear whatever you our say.
1: admiration yes and yeah and you get to listen to the podcast and be rewarded every time you listen to it hearing the name of your segment and yeah. maybe we'll mention and you the if you first have a brain that we
0: game say. that we me and aj can play yes please drop it in something the
1: something that i can test jet on again man that was fun the good old days when i could show how
0: dense you are uh okay so we're moving <laughs> on <laughs> that was a big pause my brain game brain uh, game. yeah is uh has to do with a very cool aircraft that NASA well that NASA is developing. So it's part of Lockheed Martin's Skunk Works team, but NASA is funding it or something. I don't know how it works. Anyways, it's a an supersonic passenger aircraft called the X fifty nine. Yep. And it's nice. just it. uh kind of seen by the public for the first time. Cleo Abrams or Cleo, is it Adams or Abrams?
1: Cleo Abram.
0: Yeah. I said it right. Yeah. NASA has just <laughs> unveiled this to the public um, via Cleo Abrams for the first time. Uh, she made a video where she got to go to Lockheed Martin Skunk Works and be like the first kind of outside journalist to see the plane. That's so freaking cool.
1: What's so special about the X-59? It goes supersonic, meaning faster so, than yeah, the it's going sound. A but... super,
0: so back in the day, there was a supersonic passenger plane i forget the name of it but they ended up canceling it because of the sonic boom it was going down to earth and it was too loud disturbing people and so yeah they ended up canceling it and but being able to fly supersonic is just it's way faster than um we're able to do right now so that that plane was would cruise around mach 2 um
1: it's twice the speed of sound is that what it means yeah twice the
0: speed of sound uh which is extremely fast compared to typical passenger aircraft but anyways it makes a flight <laughs> about a third of the time uh than a typical aircraft so really impressive stuff but the sonic boom disturbs people so x so 59 the, the whole idea is that I don't think we can make a whole episode on this sometime but okay. the sonic boom isn't like one a one-time event it's always going on if you hear like if a jet passes over you in one spot and then you hear the boom once it could circle around and come back to you and you'd hear it again.
1: So it's there's like constant booms happening below it, wherever it's passing over. It's not
0: necessarily a boom. It's just classified as a boom. It's like a wave that just follows the plane. Yeah, and so, it's really loud. Right. Yeah. So the whole idea with this X-59 is to send that wave up rather than down.
1: I always thought that, or when they, people take videos of sonic booms or whatever, it's like the plane lined it up so that it hit the speed of sound like at that moment. And that would be really hard to do that I'm thinking about. It. So it makes sense that what you're saying is that there's a constant wave that's trailing behind a plane going above the speed of sound.
0: Yeah, it's it's a pressure wave. And that's it. Your ears will get... The pressure difference will come and hit your ears and then your ears will make that noise. So it's not really like an explosion necessarily. It's just your ears that make that noise.
1: Cool. You ready for my brain gains?
0: Yeah, it's probably not going to be as good as mine, but let's hear it. How do people get up before alarm clocks? They got like... A door knocker that would go like he had a stick and he'd pound on people's windows
1: exactly there were these people called knocker uppers and not people who just went around getting you people want to make pregnant. an episode
0: about this <laughs> no
1: no and not people who go around just getting people <laughs> pregnant knocker uppers would go around using long rods and soft hammers and pea shooters and wrap on people's windows to get them up um so they don't go miss work because if you miss work in the industrial revolution when you're already a poor laborer you're gonna be much more poor,
0: right? <laughs> but who wakes that guy up?
1: That's that's the question, right? So I was thinking the same thing. The who chicken wakes, or the egg? Who wakes the knocker-upper up? Um, but anyway, p- people historically have said like, this is a really, really important job for the Industrial Revolution because it's like every single person in the working class relied in some way or another on these knocker-uppers. And these knocker-uppers were paid really well for what they did because every person they woke up had to pay them something a week. Um, there was a famous knocker-upper in London named Mary Smith. She got a children's book written about her because she was such like an important figure in urban London uh, during the 19th century. Then, Mr. William Crompton, this is another interesting fact about knocker-uppers, even after alarm clocks took over their jobs, William Crompton was such a awesome guy. He continued to work and make like a really, really decent living um, and guess what? what's funny about his job? He was woken up by an alarm clock.
0: <laughs> so S- so he would...
1: bought an alarm clock to wake him up for his job as a knocker-upper to go get paid to be people's alarm clocks.
0: That's kind of strange because it's like, do those people want to buy a one-time purchase and get their own alarm clock or do they want to keep paying him to whatnot, wake him up?
1: Like you said, the, the, the question is, who woke the knocker-upper up?
0: Tough if they overslept one day.
1: So I was wondering about that. I was like, I wonder if they just... Um, like really change their body so they go to bed really, really early and wake up really, really, really early. But could I could be. easily see somebody sleeping through that. So maybe they stay up all night. Who knows? Here's the question, oh, Judd. Oh,
0: they could do that and sleep during the day. Yeah,
1: because if that's their only job, they'll go get people up. But here's the question, Judd. Um, and alarm clocks, alarm clocks didn't really become mainstream until the 1900s. They used to use candles as alarm clocks. And what they would do is that they'd have a, you'd have a really long, tall candle and you'd put a nail somewhere down below in the candle so that when it melts down, the nail will fall and fall into a metal tray and that would wake you up. Smart. Yeah.
0: So now, transitioning into a crazy, crazy piece of human ingenuity. Yes international space station
1: the international space station they probably have
0: candle nailed alarm clocks there
1: that's what i read yeah i read that i read that that's how they get up but we're here to tell you all about how the thing was built in the first place and why they built it um so there's a proportion of our audience who was alive during the time of the building of the iss but there's a huge portion of our audience based on our demographics at least that literally have never lived without a space station, with astronauts orbiting above them at all times. Eventually, the ISS will come down, which means it's the perfect time now to be reflecting on everything that it brings us.
0: Yeah, I wonder, I mean, it, it doesn't necessarily have to come down. I wonder if when that day is starting to come, they'll, like, put a booster on it and push it back up into higher orbit. Oh, but, maybe, see, yeah, I see what But, you're but saying, at the same time, it, maybe yeah. they do plan to bur- have it burn up. I just feel like with all the such advanced uh, materials that are on there that some of it wouldn't burn up in the atmosphere. I don't know. I mean, I imagine it'll be decommissioned at some point, but at the same time... Not before we get up there. Yeah, no, we'll be we'll be up there first.
1: Now, in the 80s, 1984, Ronald Reagan directs NASA to start collaborating with other countries to build the space station. I think originally... Um, I know it was at least the United States and Europe, and then eventually we... Uh, and,
0: and Europe, just that one, just Europe, the country.
1: The United States and, well, it's the European Space Agency, <laughs> Judge. Just with you. Okay, um, so, and Europe, and then Canada and Japan at some point were included, and then I know, I think the last one to join was Russia, actually, because they were still dealing with the fall of the Soviet Union, and then eventually they become like, Russia, Russia? Yeah. I'm no history buff, but anyway. This is completely unrelated.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, well, not completely unrelated. Thanks
1: for taking over while I had a brain fart there.
0: No, yeah, it's cool. Um, But the reel that we posted about the decommission well, not even decommissioned, like abandoned space shuttles in Russia. Oh, were the Slovakian video. Those Soviet Union-era shuttles. That was really crazy to me.
1: I know. If I ever saw one of those in person, like I don't could know go, what I'd be able to you do. You could
0: just go loot those and steal the silicon oxide tiles, bro.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. We could do a whole episode about those.
0: We should go to Russia and try to get one.
1: I've touched one of those space tiles in real life, actually. Um, Me too, yep. Yeah? No? No, you haven't.
0: Yep, he gave it to me first.
1: No, he gave it to me first. Anyway, I thought he was, was, uh, we're talking about one of our old professors. I thought he was going to, like, let me keep it. Like when he first handed it to me, I was like, what? (laughs) No. It was a gift? Um, No. Okay. So people have been talking about living in space for a long time. As far back as Johannes Kepler, uh, he was a Renaissance astronomer in the 1600s, and he was the one kind of first thinking about, I mean, there were plenty of astronomers back then, but he was the first one kind of thinking about the fact that planets are actually worlds and there's the space between and eventually this is the big part for johannes kepler is that we would travel these distances right so they he he thought perhaps this is a distance that may, may be great but we can travel one day um authors like edward everett hale and herman nordung this is in 1860s uh, or even up into the mid 1900s people thinking about living and working in space this is meaning making man-made structures um, that could be used as, say, navigational aids or as places that grow plants and use sunlight for power and are able to house people. Eventually, US, the U.S. Army um, created a project called Project Horizon in the 1950s, which was the beginning early concepts of a space station which could house crews and refuel ships on the way to a moon base. This maybe isn't or, or hasn't to this date been realized or at least as a station to refuel for a moon mission. Um, but this is part of the Artemis program. I think right now, Judd is that um, we will have an orbiting station above the moon for crews to inhabit.
0: Yeah. So the, the Artemis missions are to build um, a basically second sort of space station around the moon and then use that as like a, midway point um, between from Earth and then actually landing on the moon to like help with the base that will be on the moon
1: I uh, and, and eventually this US Army project horizon would turn into or be patented by the NASA manned spacecraft Center which is now the Johnson Space Center and these patented ideas would eventually make way for the first ever us space station
0: I don't know I'm just reading about the weapons. That Project Horizon. So the whole idea was like for Project Horizon was to have a a secret base on the moon that no one knew about that we could do stuff over there, I guess. Secret stuff on? I don't know what sort of secret stuff, but they were going to make a handheld directional mine gun. Mine gun? Mine, as in M-I-N-E. Oh. Handheld directional mine gun. So
1: what did it do? Like it shot mines, like landmines?
0: I guess. I don't really understand what's going on here. Anyways, it doesn't matter. It's Future weird.
1: episode, Project Horizon.
0: Now let's yeah, get into... Yeah, honestly, yeah, it seems really
1: interesting. Let's get into... I mentioned there, that the U.S. eventually built their first ever space station. This was known as Skylab, um, which was built in the 70s and only occupied for 24 weeks, which is not a long time compared to the 20 years of the ISS. The interesting thing about Skylab is when it came down, um, I think... I'm remembering this correctly, but when it came down, like Baskin Robbins or Ben and Jerry, and I'm not saying this because I remember being back then, but I heard this on Star Talk, um, which was that when the station was coming down, it was going to be breaking up um, in the atmosphere, right? And Baskin Robbins or Ben and Jerry's was like, if anybody gets hit by a piece of this space station, you get free ice cream for life. And I'm thinking, if you get hit by this space station, you don't get a life,
0: you know? Probably not
1: probably and that's going to rip through you pretty fast
0: where did they i imagine they would have done this over the ocean you know so you're going to go stand in the i ocean? think i
1: mean that was the goal right but parts of it hit i think what was australia um so they're saying if anybody actually does get hit
0: so how are they even know i don't w- i'm just going to go <laughs> and gonna, say that i got hit by the space station
1: uh, you probably have to show the, the likelihood is so small i don't think baskin robinson yeah to but about they that.
0: would just be scammers yeah I I'm sure people tried. I want ice cream for oh, life. Oh,
1: and now that I'm thinking about it, I think there was another thing where people were, uh, if you brought to NASA a chunk of the station, right? Like it landed and you found a chunk of it and they brought it and you, they could confirm the piece it was, then you could get a monitor reward as well and it would go up in a museum. So I, do, I do remember that. Um, but yeah, so Skylab was a thing and there was also the Russian Mir Space Station, which in 2001 finished orbiting in came back down to earth and it was the biggest spacecraft ever at the time but now it has been outshined outshone out sure. outdone sure by the ISS the ISS assembly took 10 years Um, which started in 1998 and spanned 30 missions. So that started with the first Zarya mission control module, which was launched from Kazakhstan and ended with the Japanese and European scientific laboratories in 2008. So there's that 10 year span for you from 1998 to 2008. And the whole construction, Judd was aided by what type of spacecraft?
0: The space shuttle, the
1: space shuttle. Exactly. So reusable, uh, which was super helpful, and then also could, had a big cargo hold, so they could get up to the space station and then use a arm to take pieces out one at a time. Right. The interesting thing about the assembly of the station is that it was mostly mostly had to be done by hand. Like once they docked modules to it and. Again, the fact alone that they could dock modules to the space station, even though this was a collaboration by five different countries, had to make sure all these pieces fit perfectly together and that every single one of them went off without a hitch is really impressive. But the interesting thing is all the assembly basically was done by hand. So after they docked these modules, people had to go out and do spacewalks and connect a bunch of wires, electrical, data lines, gas lines, like water and plumbing, because they have plumbing up there too. Um, And so really just you have to think about i think there was maybe 200 there's over 260 spacewalks that were done in this first two decades to start assembling and bringing the station to life so
0: yeah it's pretty interesting i mean i know that there's are still adding on like new equipment um just not like entire modules really maybe you already read this looking at the thing but how many
1: space shuttle missions do you think it took to complete the assembly i don't know 36 space shuttle missions and six russian space shuttle or space program launches and now these new space spacex rockets and stuff like that can still adapt their technology to the space station and dock up there and be a part of the team yeah so
0: i think i and this might be wrong but i'm pretty sure nasa made my favorite
1: way to start a sentence on the pod
0: i I think nasa made like a call out to companies to to come up with an you know bring their own solution to refueling the station and re- resupplying the station because it's just a very expensive process and the fact that SpaceX is able to reuse components of their rocket just makes it cheaper.
1: Um, we talked about spacewalks being one of the like key components of assembling the space station. Um, so I said that astronauts had to go out there and assemble all these wires and components outside of the modules as they connect. The other thing is that after the space shuttle columbia incident uh incident nasa cut back how many people they're sending up there and there were only two people up there for a long time on the iss and if you're still assembling the iss this becomes a problem because like two people is not enough people to really do spacewalks and do great work because there's always two people out in spacewalks i think but anyway so they started doing what was known as the two-person spacewalks where that meant nobody was inside the iss Yes, these uh, were definitely more dangerous, but they became crucial to building the ISS because if th- they had been brave enough to go out there alone, then the assembly of the ISS would have taken a much longer period of time.
0: Yeah. I think it'd be it'd be pretty frightening. They don't have anyone in the ISS to like manage all of the I think airlocks would be another thing, but That's I suppose what I was those can too, be yeah. like I guess those are operated from within them, you know. So.
1: But still, it seems like I want somebody else telling me that things like before I pull the lever to de I mean, there's people in ride?
0: Houston that yeah. would help them out.
1: There's a guy named Alexander Kaleri who was part of one of these two-person spacewalks and his helmet started filling with water droplets and overheating. We've seen something like this before and talked about something like this before that happened mm-hmm. almost nine years after this um, where Luca something, another astronaut had his helmet fill up with water. Um, so that was kind of a prelude to a much more serious problem that would arise with these aging spacesuits over time. I think we ripped through some fast facts now on this thing itself before we talk about the research. Yeah. Yeah. And then we can take a break or something. Yeah. 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 Go get lunch. Yeah. Yeah. I do. You do what?
0: Want to get lunch.
1: Fast facts about the ISS its total weight. This is crazy. The ISS weighs. I'm going to start this differently. Mm-hmm. I'm always, you can tell I'm thinking about videos today. Um the ISS weighs only 900,000 pounds. And you're thinking like this is a big weight, but 900,000 pounds is not a lot. This is like half, maybe even a quarter of the weight of the fuel alone to launch a rocket from Earth. That's like 2 million even 4 million pounds depending on the solid and liquid or whatever. Yeah. But only 900,000 pounds and this is the more you think about it, the more it makes sense. If it weighs more, it would have to orbit further away from Earth. It, to get it to orbit further away from Earth, you'd have to fly the parts out further away from Earth. If it's weighs heavier too, you have to use more fuel to keep it in orbit because another thing I haven't mentioned yet, the ISS intermittently fires its thrusters to boost its orbit up yeah. because it is always falling a little bit towards the Earth. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, only 900,000 pounds, less than the total weight of a, the fuel for a modern rocket is just really, really impressive to me. And it becomes more impressive when you know. Oh, God, I wanted you to fill that in. Like, I know. Um, I didn't want to. <laughs> um, man, it becomes more impressive when you know how big it is. Because from solar array to solar array, the thing is bigger than a football field. Yeah, it's and a
0: huge piece of equipment.
1: And you're saying it's only nine hundred thousand pounds.
0: It feels like the yeah. It feels like the modules themselves should weigh a lot more.
1: That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, it's solar rays. I'm just reading now without even like thinking. It's solar rays generate over 70,000 kilowatt hours of energy, which is enough to power 70 individual homes for an entire year.
0: That's like actually really impressive.
1: Thank you. <laughs> See, that's the that's what we're looking for today. 70 different homes a year. And to think that, you know, how many homes would fit in a football field, like definitely not... 70 so it just goes to show you how big these arrays are (laughs) that are just sucking
0: up this power right how there's more than you can't fit 70 homes in a football field no but like why does that make it impressive
1: because because it's output of energy per it's it's like area Okay. is bigger than that of 70 homes i mean i guess that's the homes aren't generating the energy
0: but yeah that's why it Dude, seems like unrelated i'm just saying it no, seems you're very right. unrelated you're right i don't um, know what you're talking about
1: but still like think about how word sp- count all right that is crazy <laughs> how many astronauts do you think visited within the first 10 years 200 yeah 200 astronauts visited in the first year and it continues to host at least seven
0: in the first 10 years what i say First year,
1: <laughs> first year, two hundred astronauts.
0: Yeah, they're making sh- just trip trips every trip. day. Yeah, uh-huh. but two hundred and seventy three astronauts total have gotten to call the ISS home for some portion of time. Yeah, and I was it, there's videos online of the uh, like sleeping cabs that they get. Yeah, which they're just really crazy. So they're like, there's one on the floor, there's one on the wall, there's one on the ceiling. It's just kind of interesting because you have no. Yeah, there's no like. Uh, one of the astronauts was describing it by saying there's no like feeling in your head of whether you're upside down or anything like that so it's just like you can sleep wherever what were you gonna say
1: i was gonna say when i was a kid i used to wake up with vertigo while i was sleeping basically vertigo has to do with there's crystals in your ears that tell you if you're right side up or upside down um and if those fall out of like they sit with gravity kind of and if they fall where they're not supposed to, it confuses your senses and tells you, it, you get out of whack. Sure. And so I used to wake up, g- cause I don't know what the hell would happen. It's like, I'd be dreaming about something and then like I'd trip in a dream and then like all of a sudden I wake up and I swear to God, my eyes would go in circles. Like I could not even control them. It hurt so bad. I wonder if that would be not even a problem in space cause there's no gravity or if that would be like extend, ex- whatever Yeah, make, made a worse. Problem. Yeah, I don't know. Does everybody go to bed at the same time? I think so, right?
0: I wouldn't imagine so. Actually, maybe not. Maybe they They all do go to sleep. They strap themselves
1: in a bag, right? Like on the wall. Yeah, they just have a sleeping bag. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, wall slash ceiling slash floor.
1: Yeah, and they wear a sleep mask and stuff because they experience a sunrise every 90 minutes. Yeah, uh, which is pretty crazy.
0: I never really thought about the fact that you'd be going in and out of darkness.
1: Yeah. I mean, with the lights on constantly in the station, though. And I, I guess I wouldn't be looking out the window with the sun, straight at the sun all the time. Yeah. But we're going to have to ask Clayton, hiatus on that question. Yeah. Um, Judd, what say you, we take a break?
0: I just feel like there always needs to be oh, someone can't. awake. <laughs> in case, in case of a, yeah. yeah. But I also learned that there's like a location on, if something goes wrong, there's a location where everybody goes and meets and it's in the Russian module. Yeah, the um,
1: Zarya, the the control module, the one we talked about, the first yeah, ever. Yeah, so like
0: that was the first ever, uh, ever module up there. So it's kind of like home base or if something goes wrong, all the astronauts meet there and figure yeah. out how to solve it. Yeah, That's What's, all I wanted to say. <laughs> I like it. Let's take a break.
1: Let's take a break. I'm hungry.
0: Welcome back to the university, everybody. The podcast where we... Why do you got to say <laughs> the title, bro? They know where um, they're at. All right. Welcome back from the break. So we just finished up talking about history and kind of how the spacecraft was built, how the ISS was built. And now we're going to get into what goes on on the ISS. What what research is happening? You know, why do we need to do this?
1: I just, I just... I wanted to believe that they were doing stuff that was cool, but I wasn't certain of it until I did read this stuff.
0: So some of those kind of involve like more health side of things medical side of things where like we're figuring out how does being in space in zero gravity affect the body and then there's others that are just straight cool um and so let's dig into some of those
1: they've ran over three thousand experiments so far by the way in the 20 years that it's been there yeah and they didn't start like right away when it got built obviously they had to wait till research modules were established and they had good crew up there to Get everything done, so really less than twenty years and three thousand experiments um so I just I went to their website and I was like, hmm, let's see what they they have what's called the benefits for humans or something like that. uh it's a yearly publication where they talk about the research that's going on. I worked my way through it, and i if I'm ready to highlight some of the big ones, please so firstly medical scanning technology like ct scans is typically really bulky they have to spin a thing around you to scan into your body right Um, so it's not easily deployable in places that don't have ct scanners and it's expensive well using technology that was patented for x-ray telescopes they were able to use these new sources of x-rays to build scanners that can give you ct scans cheaper with less exposure to radiation and with better image quality
0: that's very important.
1: So the research that they were doing in space for space telescopes actually b- ended up benefiting humans too.
0: Yeah. I mean, one of somewhat interesting things, I guess, that I learned this semester in some of my classes were just about how CT scanners are and, and the medical imaging equipment is actually exposing you to a lot of radiation. So yeah. if you can limit that, then you're um, saving lives.
1: So you said it has applications in medicine. This is true. There is a incurable muscular disease called uh Duchenne, do du, do, du, what are you? Take a guess, Jed. <laughs> Douche <laughs> Duchenne. Oh god. Jed, this is an incurable Duchen. muscle disease. Yeah. Um Duchenne's. I actually do think it's Duchenne's. Um D U C H E N N E muscular dystrophy disease. That's an incurable disease. Um but because proteins can be formed in perfect crystals in zero gravity environments, they were able to better study the proteins that cause this muscular disease in space. By studying the perfect crystals in zero gravity environments, they are able to come up with potential compounds that can mitigate this disease. And by applying this research, they've been able to limit the advancement of this disease by about a half. So they can double, in some cases, the expected uh, life of patients.
0: That's, yeah, I mean, that's a big difference.
1: That disease, along with many others, even cancer treatments, right? There are cancer treatments that, for example, they don't dissolve easily in liquids. Yeah. But in space, we're able to learn more about the drugs that treat the cancers and modify them in ways that makes them more soluble in liquids. And this is important because if you can make them dissolve in liquids, you can give them treatments through injection rather than making people go to clinics and wait hours to get treated.
0: Time efficient.
1: Exactly. Accessible and cheaper cancer treatments because of what we learn in space
0: that's pretty important too wow they do a lot of good stuff up there i know what else look at that
1: (laughs) um another medical one is albumin albumin is the most abundant protein in blood and nasa researchers took dog and cat blood up to the iss and we're studying albumin to learn how they can make synthetic or artificial blood for transfusions in animals so that because vets vets typically have a hard time getting blood donations for blood transfusions for animals but if we can learn how to make it perf- perfectly, artificially, then we can take this research down to earth and start applying this.
0: Are you sure they aren't just like De- Jeffrey Dahmer and they're just going to drink the blood? <sighs> um, Sorry. I, that sh- that scene in that show really disturbed me and I think about it a never,
1: lot. Never finished that show. That was really bad.
0: Yeah. Um, no, not bad. That just was really gross.
1: This one is my favorite. This one's my favorite. It's going to be your favorite too. Trust me. Okay. NASA and GM created what's known as the Robonaut, which is a prototype robot that was sent up to space and was doing basic tasks alongside regular astronauts, right? This robot was able to do basic tasks alongside astronauts. They modified this by taking the arm of the robot and making it into a wearable robo arm, and then they took this down to Earth. And started applying it in automotive factories and places where hand and wrist injuries are common. And now they've got this exoskeleton arm that people can use that limits people's risk of chronic pain. And the best part is they even patented and called this something new. It's called the Iron Hand, which is...
0: Iron Man. That's cool. That that one is my favorite so far, Um, except for maybe the fact that we can cure cancer and incurable diseases, but... Cure cancer or choose Iron Hand, and you're going to choose Iron Hand. No. Wow, you're a horrible person. <laughs>
1: okay, so um, I'll skip through the next couple ones. They're Eco Stress Payload, which is an attachment to the ISS that can scan really well the Earth and pay attention to small fluctuations fluctuations in temperature. Which has the data from this has a bunch of applications. For example, running through them, reducing the heat absorbed in cities. Right, we can see cities that are made of different materials and see which ones. Uh, store the most heat we've got um helping reduce the risk of forest fires we've got helping to allocate water resources in places where it's scarce searching for geothermal energy sources that one's kind of cool track mosquitoes still not sure how they do this one but nasa says i believe them um and then also for efficient watering of crops so they got that and now judd for my favorite second favorite after okay
0: multiple favorites yeah does make sense. You the Febreze
1: Unstoppables Touch Fabric Spray with Touch Advanced Scent Release Technology. Yeah.
0: So Febreze got to use. So NASA, you're yeah. telling me Febreze gets to use the space station, but I don't.
1: What are you gonna do on the space station? <laughs>
0: Anything better than that. We're
1: changing the world with Febreze Unstoppables Touch Fabric Spray with Touch ad- Activated Scent Release Technology.
0: That's insane. Yeah. They got to develop that. Okay.
1: Yeah. They um, basically colloids are this are a mixture of particles suspended in water. But they're hard to research in gravity because some things float and some things sink, right? Yeah. So they sent it to space and perfected the formula and then sent it back to P&G, Procter & Gamble. And Procter & Gamble made three patents with this technology for Febreze Unstoppable's Touch Fabric Spray with Touch Activated Scent Release Technology. And so if you use Febreze Unstoppable's Touch Fabric Spray with Touch Activated Scent Release Technology, you're using space technology. You speechless? Yeah. That, that was that one. I don't know that one. To me, I was just like I again, just exactly don't understand what you said. why they
0: get to use it and I don't. Exactly, that was come my on. thought too. I could come up with something cooler than that. All
1: right, you've got 24 hours.
0: Let's create some artificial retinas in space.
1: Um, yeah, they also made artificial retinas. Um, so there's a company called Lambda Vision, um, and Lambda Vision is running experiments on the ISS to create artificial retinas, which are going to replace damaged light sensing cells in people's normal
0: retinas, right? Retinas on Earth are obviously affected by gravity, and so we can't really create artificial ones all that well. And so if we can do this on the ISS, we're able to add these tiny layers on top of each other that make up this artificial retina. These retinas can uh, take over the job of a damaged light-sensing cell in your eye. And so you're able to see again.
1: Yeah, the layers get mixed up if we're doing it on Earth. If we're doing these really tiny layers, one on top of another, they get kind of muddy. But if we send it up to the ISS when we're trying to perfect the order of the layers and stuff like that, and this is they put over 200 microscopic layers into this artificial retina. But when we perfect that on the ISS, we can send it down to Earth, and those people with damaged light-sensing cells... The uh, I Yes, Judd. Um, those people... Uh, with glasses or people with damaged eyesight right can see once again
0: climate change we also they also do climate change stuff yeah one of the cool things that isn't on here uh, the or one of the cool things that also happens on the ISS is just the pictures yeah think about the opportunity to go I take photos most, of earth the globe
1: i think the most pictures that nasa uploads is like the ones that astronauts take aboard the ISS
0: yeah the green and blue marble
1: yeah beautiful they have a room i think they have not a room i guess they have a module or a window that's called like the earth view or something like that where it's just like a huge huge um round glass window and that's where photographers astronauts on the iss will put giant lenses up to it and take really cool pictures of like a volcano erupting for example
0: yeah there's a few different places where they take a lot of these photos so like you said there's one like kind of hemisphere type glass uh room where they can just take photos there and then there's also a module that has like it's almost like a hexagon I would say and there's like eight different windows on every side that you can take pictures of all that and then there's also in that main command module the Russian one there's holes in the floor that are windows and you, that look straight down on earth which is cool.
1: Is this the end of the episode Judd? Are we wrapping up basically? Yeah I think
0: that's all I mean. What other thoughts do you have? Well, I think a lot. Um, usually really important stuff. G- generally, yeah. Yeah, generally I'd think about in space and stuff. G-
1: somebody asked if a, c- if a bird could fly in space. I hope they're listening. No,
0: well, in we in, in the of... ISS. A bird could fly in the ISS. Yeah, in the ISS, I- right, right. It's different if it's out in space. I say yes and no. It's not going to fly the same way, but it can move through the... It should be able to move through the... Um, Atmosphere of the ISS, the, right. uh, the air, because there's air particles that the wing can interact with, but it's not necessarily going to like... It doesn't need to generate lift. It just needs to generate forward motion. So yeah. it doesn't need to like keep itself in the air. It just needs to go forward. So I think Which I would, feel
1: like most of the forward motion for birds, I don't know anything about birds, but it's like them gliding, right? So if they like their wings aren't meant to push them forward, they're meant to put the, push them up? I mean... Maybe?
0: But the whole idea... I think when a bird is gliding would be like steady level. It's called steady level flight where lift equals weight, so you're not going up or down, and then the rust equals drag, so you're not accelerating. You're just going in one horizontal velocity.
1: Yeah. Huh. Those are two definitions that I'd never heard of. I still think could a bird fly in space or on the ISS? Yes. Would a bird fly in on the ISS? No, because I don't think any bird would be able to understand the change in... Flight. Um, okay, that's all I got, Judd. Is that all you got? Yeah. So that means we've got to sign off. Um, let me pull up our listener thing for today. This week's listener shout out is from Karina Ramos. She is from Indiana and she says, I love listening to you both on my way to school. I'm a nursing student and the stress is always sky high for me, but you two crack me up and also teach me so many interesting things on my commute to school and clinicals. Judd, did you hear that? She thinks we're funny. Or at least, or at least
0: she thinks you're funny. I think not, she thinks I'm funny.
1: Not indirectly, or not. Sh- yes, she thinks she's I'm laughing funny. at us. It sounds like. Okay, no, yeah, I'm kidding.
0: that makes sense. Definitely not with us.
1: No, both of your personalities are perfect and balance the podcast out. The Enceladus episode is my favorite. Same.
0: Dang, I did like that one. It was yeah, fun.
1: that's a very popular episode. Actually, looking at back at our Spotify app, but yeah, that
0: was one where we just kind of went off.
1: Yeah, yeah, you guys make me laugh so much with McDonald's McDonald's Sprite and the Grimace Shake trend. I do remember those jokes. Um, Thank you all for the hard work and the work you guys put into the podcast. Well, thank you, Karina. Yeah, thank you very much. She says her special message is love and appreciate you guys. We love and appreciate you too. Good luck with all your clinical stuff and your med student stuff. It's important. It's not for the faint hearted. Yes. And we need people like you to take these perfect cancer treatments that we're learning about in the ISS and go make them a reality, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So thank you so much for listening. Um, and if you would like to be featured as a listener shout out, you can do so by paying attention to our Instagram. I'll periodically post links to the submission inbox, right? Or you can just DM us as well, um, whatever your flavor, and we will get to, uh, get to those in a future episode. But other than that, that's all I have. And thanks a bunch for tuning into the ISS.
0: Bye. Bye.